I'm so glad you're here with us on The Clark Howard Show, where it's about your empowerment with knowledge so you can save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So I shared with you several years ago about a terrible, terrible attitude problem at American Airlines towards people with life-threatening medical conditions. American Airlines had been hard-hearted, mean-spirited, and cruel to people who have life-threatening allergies who were booked on American Airlines flights. And this came up in the past because there had been complaints filed against American for refusing to allow people with nut allergies any accommodations at all. American Airlines would not do anything about not having nut products served anywhere near someone with a nut allergy. Any food allergy, American would do nothing and say, life's tough. Well, I want to remind you that when you hear any announcement from an airline on a plane, it's always about how your safety is their highest priority. And that's exactly what I said when I attacked American about this three years ago. American still would not change its policy. And then eventually, after a decision this summer, it took three years for the federal government to issue, it turned out American Airlines was in fact breaking the law. Department of Transportation determined that American was violating what for air travel is like the Americans with Disabilities Act, and that American was specifically putting people into harm's way. It was infuriating to people who faced a life-and-death vulnerability from, you know, a lot of times people hear food allergy, they think you break out in a rash or something, but there are lots of food allergies that are truly life-threatening. And you probably know somebody who has one of those. So airlines are required, and you should know to assert your rights, that they are required to allow you to be in a safe environment on the aircraft. Now, American still continues to serve products that are dangerous to I think it's one and a half percent of Americans, various nut products, where other airlines have now done away with them. You know, there's a lot of back and forth when Southwest Airlines, which always has been known as the peanut airline, because they always had that slogan, you know, our fares are as low as peanuts. And they banned peanuts from their flights, and they served these pretzels that are actually more like sawdust. I mean, they got to be able to come up with a better pretzel than that. But anyway... They're not serving the peanuts anymore. Delta Airlines has done away with them. So American, you've been told, and now you got to behave when somebody wants to come on and clean an area of a plane before someone with an extreme food allergy is sitting down there and then come wipe it down. Now, reluctantly, you're doing that. Go the next step. Do the right thing and if you really mean it that you care about our safety, then why don't you stop serving products on the planes that are such a clear danger 
to the people that might be flying on your planes. Jeff joins us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Jeff. Hey, Clark. How you doing? Great. Thank you, Jeff. You are an entrepreneur of some kind? Well, uh, I'm a truck driver. I've been driving 18-wheelers for a long time, and last year I bought my own truck, and so now I don't have my 401k. I still have it, but I want to uh, roll it over into a solo 401k because I've heard you talk about those before, but I'm not sure where to do it, and uh, I want to be able to put into it electronically, which um, from what I understand one of the companies I looked into can't do that and uh, wanted to be able to uh, put it into certain funds and the one I have it in my 401k with now doesn't offer the funds that I was looking at so anyway I'm just not sure what's the best way to go there. All right. so with a solo 401k it's a great thing for a one-person company because right. you're allowed to put in from nothing in a year up to massive amounts. And so you can put in, um, gosh, I think right now there are certain circumstances where you can put in maybe up to a little over $60,000 in a year into one. So anything from zero to a very large amount of money, which is so much more flexibility than most people have in a traditional employer-provided 401k. But normally, you're not going to be able to just have them come in and grab money from you. You have to set up an electronic bill pay where you automatically fund it each month or um, however you want to fund it. But uh, do you use automatic bill pay? Do you use that kind of thing? Yes. Yeah, so you just set it up as that. And you, for the amount of money you want to send every time, you just send it in. Okay, so when I add contributions to it, like a lot of these companies will say like a $5 trade fee every time you put money in. Ooh, you don't want to be with anybody like that. I want you to go with one of my low-cost companies. Like like I own them or something. But (laughs) I want you to look at... Going with, um, you may have heard me call them my my favorite children, Vanguard, Schwab, or Fidelity. Right. The, those will allow you to put money in. They have a zillion investment choices. They have no fee to them, no commission, and extremely low management fees for the money in there. And that way, of uh, the money you're putting in, 100% goes to work for you fee-free. Okay. So every time I add money to one of those, they, they won't be like charging. Nope, them. there's no junk fees. How old are you, Jeff? 49. 49. Okay. So starting next year, you're allowed to even put in bonus contributions once you turn 50. Yeah. So you'll be able, you have even more flexibility about how much money you can put in. So with any of these companies, are you planning to bag work in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years? How long do you think you're going to do this? About 10 years. So I would go in with any of them. I would put your solo 401k money in what's known as the Target Retirement Fund 2030. Perfect. And when you call one of these companies or you go visit, because Schwab and Fidelity, you can actually walk into an office, Vanguard, you have to do everything by phone. 
you got to make sure yeah. you're with a small business retirement specialist because most of them aren't going to have heard of or be knowledgeable about, unless they were specifically trained in it, how solo or self-employed 401ks work. Yeah, I did call one company that uh, sent me to their local office and the lady didn't even know that they offered that. So I was like, okay. Yeah, so that's they're why... one of the more expensive uh, companies, so... And you know I don't want you with an expensive company. I want you with one of the bargain companies because I want the hard work that you're doing and the money that you're saving, I want it to grow for you, not for them. Ben is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ben. How are you doing? Hi, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Ben. Ben, you've got a collection agency hassling you. What's happening? Well, I got a letter all a little bit about a month, maybe six weeks ago, about uh, uh, from the collection agency explaining that they felt like I had a debt out there that I owed them or owed another company, obviously, a third-party collection agency. And I did what you tell everybody to do, where I certified and snail-mailed them a letter explaining that I'm disputing the validity of the debt. And uh, they uh, wrote me back a couple days ago and basically said that they that the that has been validated on 519 or whatever, and that they will not accept any more letters um, about me disputing the validity of the debt. So, All right. So the, tell me more about the debt, if you could. Um, it, it's uh, yeah, I run a, a business up in where I live, and uh, um, it's for an advertising agency saying that I owe them money. Okay, let me explain the normal process I talk about will not work for you because it's not a consumer debt. Business-to-business debt is not covered by the provisions of the Fair Debt Collection Practices Act. Okay. So you're in a different situation here with it being a dispute about a business debt. So the, the debt in question, they're saying, is a a valid debt turned over to them by what kind of advertising? Um, through the phone book. Oh, that is one of the oldest ripoffs there is that hits a small business. So there's some uh, phone book that says that you bought an ad and you owe them money for it? Correct. Yeah, that almost always is a scam. So you never signed up for this advertising in any way you're aware of or anything like that, these people are just telling you that you owe how much? Mm, like two grand, $2,500, somewhere in that. <laughs> oh, man, I, I have to laugh because otherwise I'd cry. I mean, what kind of arrogance is involved in somebody who comes up with a way to try to cheat hardworking small business owners than this? All right, so... The collection agency can say they're not accepting your dispute, but all you're going to do is you are going to, has it shown up on any of your personal credit reports? Not that I know of yet, and that's what I'm worried about, and even the business line of credit, I mean, I don't obviously want it on there either. Sure. All right. Well, what you do, and those are not, those have no credibility in the marketplace when they're dunning you for these fake yellow pages things. So... What I would like you to do is, if you're not yet a subscriber to uh, Credit Sesame and Credit Karma, I want you to sign up for those, which will allow you to monitor what's going on with your credit. And if this pops up 
as a collection item on any of the credit reports that you can monitor for free, I would then want you to go to the credit bureau involved. You're able to get one free credit report each year, get that file, and then you dispute it on there. Okay. And in addition, with these people, write the collection agency back and say that this is not a valid debt, you are not going to pay it, and they are never to contact you again about this debt, period. Okay. And that is a consumer right, not a right that a business has, but usually the collection agencies, if they realize you're that serious, they're not going to bother you anymore. It doesn't mean that it then won't be turned over another rogue collection agency. Then I do the same thing with them, I would assume. Right. Okay. But this is hand-to-hand combat with these fake yellow chip, yellow pages bills. Okay. So stay tough. And okay. I hate that they're wasting your time running your business, serving your customers, having to deal with this foolishness. Ashley is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Ashley. Hi, how are you today? Great. How can I serve you, Ashley? Okay, well, my mother passed away last year. and Oh, I'm left- sorry. Thank you very much. She left my 17-year-old $40,000 in her IRA account. Um, We're kind of at a loss what to do with the money. We don't want to just, of course, hand over $40,000 to a 17-year-old. We want him to save it for college. He, of course, has one more year left in high school. We just don't know what to do with the money in the meantime, where it could go maybe to make any more money, what our options are. Okay, so uh, again, I'm sorry about the loss you've suffered. Thank you. There are specific rules on inherited IRAs. Okay. And as to when your child has to take money from it. And so this is a, um, a very different thing than normally with an IRA. Has anybody at the... Um, it, is it a brokerage house, mutual fund company? What kind of place is it where this uh, IRA was? I don't know what you would call it. Um, uh, go ahead and name them. It, it, I'll, I'll just, I mean, they, they haven't done anything here other than they have the money. So who is it? Right. It's, it's Merrill Lynch. All right. Now, that's an ultra high cost place to have an right. IRA. Um, with those ultra high costs, hopefully they have thoroughly explained to you how the rules work on an inherited IRA? Not particularly. They've just had me sign some papers to get his name on it or to get our names on it. Okay, so there there are distributions. There's a distribution process that has to take place, and okay. uh, there will be no tax due at the time of transfer, but there will be withdrawals that have to take place. Okay. And so they need to, I mean, with the massive fees Merrill Lynch charges, they should be all over explaining this to you. I want you to uh, go back to them and have them thoroughly explain the what's known as the non-spouse inheritance rule so that okay. you know you're fully complying with the law because otherwise the IRS charges massive penalties if an inherited IRA is not handled exactly as the law requires. Oh, okay. And in addition to calling them, I would go, I know this is going to be a little bit of a chore, I want you to go read the IRS regulations 
on inherited IRAs so that you know exactly what questions to ask if the person you're talking to at Merrill Lynch seems clueless. Okay. And um, the money, as as you have to take withdrawals, you can just reinvest it for your teenager and you don't even have to tell them it's there. Right. I mean, it's one of those cases where it's information that would be harmful to them, not helpful to them to have. Right, because he would go spend it on some fancy car. You got it. I'm so glad to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. So that's our mission. That's the goal, is to empower you with knowledge so you stay in charge of your wallet. And I answer a number of questions from people. I give advice and commentaries, and I give opinions. And you may feel with any of those things that I'm thick-headed or just missing the mark. And remember, the whole goal of this is we all work together as members of Team Clark to educate each other to have better control of our lives financially. So I want to do the best job for you every single day that I possibly can. But I'm human. And that means I'm flawed and I'll make mistakes. So that's why we have Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. It's where you can post where you feel my advice didn't get the job done or my opinions are just wrong or clueless. And so you go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks. You post what you want to say and then others can read it. They can comment on it. And then weekly, our producer, Krista, goes through your posts on Clark Stinks and shares some with you right here on the air. I should have never encouraged you to speak. You must think I'm pretty stupid. You should be ashamed of yourself. Well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right, pal. What's up, Stinky? This is the poster wrote that a woman named April (laughs) called about taking a year to travel with her husband and young children. You discussed some options for funding this year long trip. You did not mention the option of renting their home during that year. If I'm not mistaken, April said her home was paid off. Other than property taxes, all of the rent could go towards funding their trip. It's not like they were going to use this home sporadically that year. After all, April did consider selling it altogether. So wouldn't renting be financially savvy a financially savvy solution or at least part of one? Thanks for all you do, Jimmy. Jimmy, that's a great suggestion, and I should have said that. And thank you for you bringing that to the table. Clark, I don't think you stink, but I disagree with the advice you gave a caller recently about never financing a car through the car company. Yes, it's true. The car company charges a much higher interest rate, but my husband and I recently saved $3,500 because we financed through the dealer. Then one week later, we transferred the auto loan to our local credit union. It cost us about $100 to do a title transfer, but the interest rate at our credit union was so much lower, it was well worth it. A car dealer once told my sister-in-law to just finance through the car company to get a discount, then refi with her credit union later. If a sweet deal is being offered by the dealer, sometimes it pays to initially finance with them, 
and then refi as soon as possible. Thanks for all you do to keep your listeners informed. I appreciate the way you always treat your callers with courtesy and respect. Thank you. And who posted that? No name? Mm-hmm. So uh, here's what I recommend, and let me give you the nuance with it. I want you to know you're good for the money by pre-qualifying for a vehicle loan with your credit union. Uh, really never a bank. You want to do it with a credit union because credit unions write vehicle loans so much cheaper than the typical bank and much, much cheaper than the typical car dealer. But once you know you're good for the money at the credit union, then when you go to the dealership, you can be all ears. And if they offer you a better deal to finance the vehicle with them, then go ahead and do it at the dealer. The dealer is making nothing, particularly on the sale of new vehicles today. So the money is made in that finance department. And so in that, uh, what they call the F&I department at a dealership, that's why when you think you have the deal on the vehicle, you're turned over to somebody who's really expert at trying to get you to buy the extended warranty and all the junky add-ons and pushing you to finance with them. Don't buy any of the extended warranties or the junky add-ons or anything like that, but listen up when they want to talk about financing. If the dealer can give you a better overall deal than what you have with the credit union, go for it. You went for a double deal. You got that, and then you did your refi immediately after, which shows you are very, very on top of your game. Clark urges folks to go to the DMA website to get junk mail stopped, but the DMA charges a $2 processing fee for the service. Why should I pay to stop junk mail? Clark should alert his audience about the service charge, Michael. Michael, it is true that with the DMA, you have to pay, and it's $2 to do it online. If you use snail mail, it's $3. The advantage is you stop all that junk mail, and I hate that they don't make it free anymore. You don't stink, Clark, but your pronunciation does. The TV provider. Oh, this has been true forever, hasn't it? <laughs> the TV provider Philo is pronounced like the inventor of TV's name, Philo T. Farnsworth. He's from my hometown and has a statue here in his honor. It's amazing to me how everyone loves to watch TV but has no idea who this man is. Glad he's finally getting a little recognition by a provider using his namesake. Thanks for saving the good people of Beaver, Utah money. Keep up the good work. We love you. So I love Utah so much. I need to come see the statue <laughs> during ski season and then go skiing. So Philo, not Philo, I guess is how I've said it over time. So I will try to remember Philo. Love your show and the valuable information you normally provide. However, your advice to the father in New York who wanted to purchase an ice cream cart for his son was inadequate and short-sighted. I live in New York. Regulations regarding the sale of food is heavily regulated and enforced for health and safety reasons. You fail to inquire how the cart would maintain the proper temperature to safely store the ice cream. Is there electricity available? If so... Who is responsible for the cost and assuring it's safety, safely accessible and properly maintained? New York requires working papers for children ages 14 to 18 to ensure their protections in regards to safety and wages. There are exceptions for children as young as 11 for delivery of newspapers and periodicals, but no such exception that I can see regarding this type of undertaking. In addition, since the child's only 12, 
Would he be supervised for his own protection for both his physical safety and since he'd be accepting cash to guard against theft? While it's admirable that this young man has such a good work ethic, both you and the father have been short-sighted in thinking this through. Therefore, I'm sorry to say, you both stink, Anne. Anne, thank you. I appreciate your research on this, and I appreciate your concern. I think it's so important that we encourage the concept of free enterprise and capitalism and initiative in our children. And I have for years objected to rules that have been put in place in states that make it really hard for kids to do little teeny micro businesses because I think kids learn so much from them and you don't want to take that enthusiasm away from a child. Health and safety regulations are there for a good reason because we want to see to the safety of the general population. But we can't fix everything. And the reality is a child doing a little cottage business is going to have such a low transaction rate that the possibility of danger to the general public is teensy tiny. It's the same thing that's gone on in states where they have changed the health and safety rules for adults running very small baking businesses out of their homes and uh, that kind of operation so that small, small, small micro-businesses can get off the ground. Clark, love you, but quit telling people to keep all those credit cards. Really, the last person had more than 35. In this time of fraud, hacking, etc., he or she does not need that much info out there. The time wasted alone just keeping track and maybe using them. My new husband had 32 cards. I had him cancel all but four. His score is 805. No other loans ongoing. If they are not going to buy a house in the next six months, call and quit. Life will be simpler, and that is Clark Smart, Leslie. Leslie, I appreciate that. And I was laughing the other day. There was a story that had uh, the subject of the story was someone who had, I think it was 30 credit cards, that they're using all of them to try to achieve different rewards of different kinds and how they try to make sure they don't miss payment dates on any of them. And that speaks right to what you're talking about, about unnecessarily complicating your life. You bring up the fraud issues that happen if you have too many accounts open. So, yes, if you, in isolation, take the idea of, well, there's no harm of having all these cards. In fact, it may help boost your score and ignore the issues you bring up, Uh, You know, you have very valid points that you have raised on having a zillion credit cards open. Clark, you do not stink, but you sound so cold and unattached when you talk about death. Of course, when we die, it will not amount to a hill of beans as to what will happen to our bodies. Death is for the living, not the dead. The loved ones left behind need a platform to grieve. Let's throw mama in a flame of fire, and then maybe when we get around to it in six months, we will celebrate her life. How cold and sterile. Please, for those of us who have to say, have, are having to say goodbye, will be the hardest thing that we will ever have to do. Show a little more compassion. I know you're only repeating data, maybe facts, about the direction of change about this subject, which I find very sad. Thanks. I'm, I'm surprised because I really do value the feelings of 
a family member, a loved one who is hurting at the loss of a loved one or family member's life. And I do a cold separation of the grieving process and you not being taken advantage of by the funeral industry. I see those as two entirely separate things. In the funeral industry, a lot of the big chains train their salespeople how to use either the grief or guilt that they're picking up from family members or loved ones to run up the bill on that family. And I very much want you to know the tools that make the process more affordable for a family. And I guess when I talk about that, I talk about it, you know, do this, do this, do this, do this. And it sounds very clinical, but I'm, I don't feel clinical at all about the pain that a family member may have at the loss of a loved one. And I'm sorry if the way I talk about it sounds clinical, cold, and uncaring. Okay, on a more upbeat note, Clark, I like your show, but you always like the best every place you've been. You're also a latest gadget junkie. Give you the Kool-Aid, Greg. Greg, I am guilty on both fronts. You are completely right. I love the joy of discovery of this great planet of ours, this great nation of ours. Every place I visit, every place I go, I find joy in it. I I love people and I love experiencing people from different ways of life and different cultures. So completely true on the travel. The gadget thing, oh man, that's true too. And I have learned to control those impulses more or less. And now based on what I've learned that so many of our listeners want, I put a special emphasis on trying very affordable gadgets instead of the latest, greatest, hottest, most expensive gadget so I can be of use to you in helping you reduce what technology costs you. But am I a gadget freak? Yes. Do I understand how any of them work? No way. I appreciate so much your posts. When you feel that I am going the wrong way with what I'm doing on the show, please go to Clark.com slash Clark Stinks and let me know. Adrian is with us on the Clark Howard Show. Hello, Adrian. Hey, Clark. How are you doing? Great. Thank you, Adrian. How can I serve you? Well, first off, I want to say it's an honor to talk to you. I love the way you treat people and all the advice you give. Um, I give you an A-plus for that, Clark. I really do appreciate it. That's kind of you to say. So I have a question about renting versus buying. I recently heard uh, you talk about one of your podcasts that you shouldn't stress yourself when it comes to buying a house and instead you should put that money into a Roth. Well, I recently moved to Austin and a decent one bedroom. uh, Austin or Boston? Austin. Austin, Austin, Texas. Texas. All right. All right. Uh, Well, a decent one bedroom rental costs at least $1,000 per month while housing and surrounding areas and surrounding suburbs can be around 200,000 with Mortgages, property taxes, and insurance ranging anywhere between $1,100 and maybe $2,000. Wouldn't it just be better to buy the house instead of dump all that money into a rental? Good question. And that would, uh, so first of all, there's a lifestyle difference because your rental will probably involve a shorter commute likely than where you'd have to go out from central Austin to buy a $200,000 home today. But the real answer depends on how long you would plan to live in Austin. 
How many years do you think that Austin is your likely home? Uh, probably the rest of my life, ideally. Then I would feel fine with you buying a home, particularly with how interest rates have pushed down so much in the last few weeks because of worries about a slowing economy, that you have a tremendous opportunity right now to lock in a really low interest rate. And if you can buy a home you'd love in a neighborhood you'd be happy to live in, in the range of around $200,000, your effective monthly payment would be very similar to what you'd pay in rent and you'd get a whole house. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm completely supportive of that. Okay. Um, Can I ask you one more question about that? Sure. So do you have any views on purchasing a condo instead of a house? Um, Or is that... Condos, so the thing with condos is your ownership cycle needs to be longer than it would be with a house, where most people look at a condo as a shorter cycle ownership. And the reason is, as home prices don't move in a straight line, as we've learned Mm -hmm. so clearly, they go up and down, but condos go up and down at greater rates when a market declines or a market rises. So uh, where home ownership cycle, I like for you to buy a home that your intention in life can interfere in this, but your intention is to own it seven years or longer to make the numbers really look good for you. A mm-hmm. condo, you need to look more at a 10-year or longer ownership cycle Okay. in order to protect yourself. I think I heard you say that one of your recent shows also. So it's really your call, too, lifestyle-wise. Mm-hmm. So in Austin, you have In-N-Out Burger on one street corner and Whataburger on the other. Which do you pull into? <laughs> uh, neither. Are you a, a vegetarian? No, not at all. If I'm going to eat a hamburger, I want to make it myself. Wow. I can't make anything for myself, especially not food. I only know how to eat food. I know how to order from a menu. Anything else with food? Forget it. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.